Well, I, I kind of can't believe this, but um, if you take into account the several testimonies that we've had over the course of this series, we are in part nine of our series, Startled by Grace. So we've heard from three different folks in our congregation, just stories of God's grace in their lives, and this is about the sixth message that we've preached from the Word. And so just to kind of summarize some key points along the way, we opened the series talking about how um, God's grace, first of all, is in His presence. It's not this like separate thing that He gives us. He is present in our lives, and with His presence comes grace. And so, so grace is present because God is present. We talked about the fact that grace speaks truth. That can mean encouragement. That can mean warning um, and everything in between. It can teach us, but grace communicates truth, the reality of the situation we find ourselves in. And then finally, grace, not finally, but the kind of the third point on that first week was that grace brings empowerment. With grace comes the power to be who we're called to be and do what we're called to do and walk out this life with God's presence and his love and his truth. He gives us power to move forward. We've talked about the fact that grace requires humility to receive God's grace. I've got to humble myself and realize I need it and declare my dependence on him and trust him to do all the things that I cannot do for myself. And then ultimately, we talked about how grace brings new life and the resurrection power um, that comes with God's grace in our lives. And so all of that kind of came about in the first three weeks when we looked at the story of Noah, pre-flood, during the flood, and on the other side of it, and how it's a reflection of those things in our life. Then we've, we've looked at a few stories about grace. We, we looked at um, the story of Elijah and the widow and the, the um, excuse me, Elisha and the widow and the stuff that never ran out, the oil and the flour that never ran out. We talked about how God's grace is daily available for what we need today and that he does that in our lives and he invites us to share that with other people. God's daily grace and provision is available. And then a couple of weeks ago, um, we, we talked about the fact that um, there is enduring grace. God gives us grace in those seasons when it just seems like all I'm doing is holding on. And I, I'm not seeing the victory. I'm not feeling like I'm progressing forward. I feel like I'm, I'm stuck and I'm in a rut and I'm in a situation where my circumstances just don't seem to be changing and that God is actually up to something in those seasons and that he gives us the grace to endure and that often in those seasons, he's, he's growing us. He's inviting us into a new place where we find strength we didn't know we have. So that's kind of what we've covered up to this point. So this morning, um, we're going to talk about, it's almost part two to enduring grace. We're going to talk about overcoming grace. While I've been enduring and I've been fighting and I've been battling, there is grace that overcomes in victory. You know, I, I think often... Um, and you can see this in a lot of ways, but in our church circles, we can lean really heavily one way or the other. So one of those ways I think things play out in our church circles is we, we might um, really accept the fact that life is hard. And we have just a really enduring mindset. Life's hard. It's difficult. We just keep trudging along. But then we don't look for or expect victory. And we almost accept this hopeless, it's just always going to be hard and we're never going to be victorious. But I do feel like there are portions of the church that fall on the other side and it's like, 
Victory always, right here, right now, and your faith must not be strong enough if you ain't having it. That's really discouraging when things aren't changing. And it's not real. It's not reality. The truth is we live in this tension of a broken and falling world, and there are times where we need to endure, and by God's grace, we can. And yet at the same time, there are times where God shows up miraculously And we have a breakthrough. We have victory in our life. We overcome a sin we've been struggling with. We see healing take place. We see a new season come about that we've been anxious to to move into this new place. And we watch it happen. And so we're going to talk this morning about overcoming grace. And, you know, my, my fear in any one message, like God is huge. I mean, we just sang about it. Like, There's some freedom in that. What scribe or person can say anything that would communicate how incredible God is? But I just know, I know when there's a particular message and emphasis and focus that we can make that the whole thing. And so the reason I'm giving all these recaps is to say God's grace is present in every situation. Are y'all tracking with me? And so we're talking about overcoming grace this morning. There's enduring grace. There's daily grace. There's all of that. So... What I want to do this morning, we're really just going to camp in one story, and we'll look at a few other verses that kind of inform this a bit, but we're really going to camp out in Exodus chapter 17. If you're familiar with this story, it's the story where Israel has a battle and a fight in front of them, and Moses is called to lift up his arms, and when his arms are up, they're winning, and when his arms go down, they lose. It's that story. And so we're just going to read this, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it, all right? So it's a little bit of a long reading, but it's just going to give us the fullness of the story before we unpack it. So beginning in Exodus chapter 17, uh, verse 8. Then Amalek, and later in Scripture you'll see them called the Amalekites, same kind of group of people here. Um, Really quick, let me give you some background. This is right after the children of Israel come out of Egypt. I mean, right after. The plagues have happened. The Red Sea has parted. They've moved through the dry ground. They're... They're just now doing that initial trek through the wilderness. They're not in their 40 years of wandering. They haven't even explored the land yet. They're just on their way, okay? They're like a few days in, a week or two in to moving into the wilderness. And so in the midst of that season, verse 8, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. This is like a valley area, desert area. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book, And recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, 
the Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Lord, I pray that you would make your word come alive this morning. God, I thank you that this is not an old dead story from an ancient people, but it is alive and active and powerful today. Jesus, I thank you that you are the living word, the word made flesh. And God, that there is stuff that you want to speak to our hearts this morning that would help us face our battles today. God, would you, would you bring truth? Would you bring clarity? Um, God, would you bring encouragement this morning? Holy Spirit, would you help us to have understanding of this story um, and help us to apply it, God, to see how this connects to our lives? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, number one, let's notice when the attack comes. So verse, verse 8, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So, so the attack comes in the desert. It, it, it comes in the desert. It comes in the weary, hard place. But the attack comes with some specific intensity. Verse 16, I'm going to read this again. And this is Moses speaking about Amalek. So he's talking about the people that are attacking them. And he says, a hand upon the throne of the Lord... The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now that translation is maybe a little bit unclear. Um, in Fawcett's Bible dictionary, he kind of further explains like what the Hebrew is communicating here in verse 16. And I, I just love the phrasing of this. It makes a little more sense to our ears today. He says, um, because the hand of Elimelech is against the throne of Jehovah, he, he opposes God and his authority. His hand is against the throne of Jehovah. Therefore, Jehovah will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So this enemy's hand is against God himself and God's purposes for his people. That's what's happening here. God's people are being called out of slavery. They're moving into freedom, into a new season. And they're, they're weary. They're in this desert. And the enemy comes. And the enemy is opposed to God and opposed to God's people. In fact, Moses unpacks this a little bit more in Deuteronomy when he tells them to remember what happened to them in this story. And he says in Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 and 18, he says, Remember what Anilak did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint, and weary, and they cut off your tail. It was like a sneak attack from behind. And those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. This guy came after them in their weak spot, picking off the tired and the weary. I mean, they've gone through a lot. They've gone through a lot. They've, and they, they've even experienced victory. I mean, it's, it's been amazing to me to see how often in my own life, coming off of a great season, a victorious season, and that's when the enemy will show up and start trying to rip me off. And there's like, there's that lull after a victory where you're just worn out and you're tired. Or, or maybe it's, it doesn't even feel like a victory. It feels like an escape. Like, there's a very real part of that. Re remember the scene, if, if you don't recall, you know, they get, they get let go out of Egypt, but the story didn't end there. They start leaving 
And Egypt like doubles down and they're angry and they go after them to, to kill him. And they're pinned between this, this sea that's before them and the enemy that's behind them. And by a miracle of God, they escape and they pass through on dry land. And so they just escape that, that attack. And now they're in this desert place heading towards this vague promised land that they're believing is out there. But what they're seeing along the way is a valley and sand and they're thirsty. In fact, if we were to go back and read the first part of chapter 17, they were so weary and worn out and thirsty that they were, they were complaining and crying out, did God bring us here to die? And it's the story when Moses strikes the rock and water comes from the rock to refresh them. They are, they are worn out and they are tired. And it's right in that moment when the enemy shows up to attack. Has, has that been real to anybody else in their lives? It's not just me? Okay. So this is real. This is, this is what happens in life. And so I just, I just want to take note of that. Like when the attack comes, I'm not just talking about hard circumstances. Like, like we have an enemy that hates our God and hates his people. And he wants to rip off God's purposes and plans for us. And sometimes the thing we're facing is not just a hard season or a difficult circumstance. Sometimes it is direct opposition from the enemy in our life. And God's calling us to fight and, and to experience some victory. So that's a little bit about kind of when the attack comes, what that can look like. So what do we do now when we're facing the attack? Check this out. This is so important. Exodus 17 now, verses 9 and 10. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Like there's a real battle. Get some men, get your swords, and let's go face the enemy. He continues, Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. This is, this is so vitally important. This, this should give us some encouragement about how do I face the enemy. And at the simplest level, there are two things here. There are practical tactics and there are prayerful tactics. Practical and prayerful. All right, now, one of the things I've discovered, there's like this funny little skill that happens. When I moved to Knoxville and became a pastor, I started realizing how easy it is to come up with these really cheesy things that help you remember, like practical and prayerful. I remember laughing over the years at my pastor back home, and he always had those. And so it's just this wonderful gift I've been growing in. So practical and prayerful. I realize there's little kind of cheesy moments like that, like in a sermon. But here's the deal. We remember it. We remember it. Practical and prayerful. Here's the deal. When we have an enemy to face, there are sometimes very real things right in front of us we need to do. And we need to listen to the voice of God. Listen to the direction and wisdom that we will receive from others that says, hey, tackle it this way. You know, one of the overriding messages of this story is that they're not alone. They're in this together. Moses gets Joshua and gives him some direction. And I think one of the biggest challenges we face when we have a battle is 
we're keeping it to ourselves. And we face it alone. And I don't even think to invite the wisdom or insight of somebody else into my life. Maybe I'm embarrassed. Maybe I'm ashamed. Maybe I just think, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. Or maybe it is a big deal. And I, I, maybe I'm so wrapped up in my own kind of shortcomings that I don't want people to see that. But like, we're all broken. We all have shortcomings. God gives us each other for a reason. And so Moses speaks some clarity and some direction. says, Joshua, here's what we're going to do on a practical level. Here's how you're going to face the enemy. And I think we should just be honest about that. Sometimes we're experiencing defeat in our, in our walk, in our life, because we're not... We're over-spiritualizing it. We're not facing just, there's some real practical things. Hey, I can't overcome this temptation, but I leave all the sources of the temptation laying right there in front of me. Like, throw it away. Get rid of it. Like, Jesus was talking about this so aggressively that he says, like, cut off the hand or pluck out the eye that's causing the problem. Now, I don't necessarily know that Jesus really was expecting a bunch of us to kind of be walking around missing a hand. But he's saying like, hey, if you want to win this fight, there's some real practical sacrifices you might have to make. So let's be real about that. But additionally, the battles that we face because of who Jesus is and his grace in our lives, we're not meant to face them in our own strength and we're not meant to face them alone. And so there is a component of faith and prayer involved in the battles that we face. And so Moses says, I'm going to go up on the hilltop and I'm taking Aaron and her with me. Now, the, the practical part of me, if I'm Joshua and I'm this warrior and I'm thinking we got an enemy to fight, I'm like, hey, Moses, don't you think it would inspire the people if their leader was down there fighting with them? Like that feels impractical for you to be up there. But prayer is practical. It actually is part of the practical tactics. I should pray and believe in faith that God will bring victory. And so Moses goes up on the mountaintop and, and he does something that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, why in the world would somebody doing this with a staff, like anybody seen the Lion King? Remember Rafiki when he's like holding the stick and like cheering him on, like, yeah, go for it. Like doing this all day, like that's doing something. But God invites us to believe for crazy, miraculous things. And he engages us in the process. And so what are the practical things that God's calling me to do? And what are the elements that are just based in faith and believing God's going to win the victory? Now, so that you don't think this is just some Old Testament story and concept that I'm trying to, to preach into existence in our day to day. This is what Paul's writing about to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6. A couple weeks ago, we looked at taking up the sword and praying continually but as, uh, before he gets into the armor, Paul writes and he says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, he restates it all again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day 
and having done all to stand firm. Stand firm. I, I feel like it gives the beautiful picture of that tension. We've got a battle to fight. Arm up. Be ready to do your part. But ultimately, we're trusting in the grace of God to battle on our behalf. It's his strength. He's inviting us into this cooperation. He wants me to participate. And so Joshua is invited to participate and go fight. And even Moses, who's operating in faith, is called to participate physically and practically. Keep your hands up. So we are strong in the Lord. We gear up and prepare for the fight and we, we get ready to face the enemy. Now, there's the reality of the battle at hand when it's time to fight. Verses 11 through 13, Exodus 17 again. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people from with the sword. So first of all, we see this being played out now. Moses didn't just gather Joshua and Aaron and her and say, let's have a five-minute prayer session before you guys go out and fight. Like, are y'all with me? They, they continued in prayer. As the fight was happening, Moses continued in faith to trust God to bring the victory. He stuck with it. He kept it. I love this. Bill came up to me this morning and was like, hey man, would you pray with me? We already prayed this week for healing for his arm. He came over to the house, had some dinner, prayed over his arm. But he came back up this morning and he said, hey, I just remember that the scripture says to knock and to ask and to seek. That's it. Yeah, we prayed this week. I guess if it'll happen, it'll happen. No, let, man, we're sitting here today. Let's pray again today. Yeah. And when we wake up tomorrow and we're facing the same enemy in the same battle, let's pray again. And I love how practical this picture is. Like Moses gets tired. Doesn't that just get exhausting? Have you ever found yourself in one of those seasons where you're like, God, I just don't have any prayers left to pray on this issue. I'm done. I, I will never forget Years and years ago now, man, eight or nine years, um, we, we were battling as a church family for something miraculous to happen in our church family. We were believing for somebody to be miraculously healed who was, who was dying and going to heaven. Um, and he did go to heaven. But we had several days where we were unsure of the outcome. And I mean, we're praying at the hospital, we're praying in our homes, people are gathering at the church for prayer sessions. And I, I can remember at one point, me and, and the worship leader back in Franklin, Jonathan Allen, one of my best friends, and we're just exhausted, man. It's been just days of like, God, would you please do something? And we were asked again to, to lead a prayer gathering at the church. And it's just like, we're looking at each other going, man, I don't, he doesn't want to lead worship. I don't want to lead prayer. I don't feel like I've got anything left to say to people. Like, we're just worn out. And I'll never forget, we gathered in front of the altar there, and there's a bunch of people who are like, guys, we're, we're just going to try to pray. And I can literally remember Jonathan and I just kind of embraced. And it was like, we were almost like, 
leaning on each other, like collapsing in exhaustion. And it was just like, I don't even think we were uttering any words. It was just like, God, do something. And the body came around us and we were all just in a huddle, kind of like we were here this morning. And it was just like, all right, I'm out of things to say and out of words to pray, but God, I'm just believing that you're going to do something here. And I love this. They bring Moses a chair, basically. They get a stone and just go, all right, sit down. But we're not going to stop. <laughs> but sit down. And I love his friends, man, his, his brother, her, like his buddy, like, hey, man, we'll help you. I mean, I don't know. I thought about making y'all do this this morning and then I decided against it. If I was still a youth pastor and you were in youth group, I would be making you do this right now. <laughs> um, but I'm not. I'm not. But I don't know if you've ever tried to like see how long you can hold up your arms and how quickly you get exhausted, especially when somebody tells you you have to keep them up. Like they start feeling real heavy, real fast. And you start to realize, man, I'm like way out of shape. I'm not even holding something. It's just the air and the gravity. Like what's up? You get exhausted. It's hard. It's difficult. But I love that, that God surrounded Moses with his friends and they said, hey, we're going to do this together. We're hanging in here together. And so they come and they support him in prayer. Now, as all of this is happening, put yourself in Joshua's shoes for a minute. Joshua's the bro like on the ground actually fighting real enemies. Like there's blood, sweat and tears happening down there. And don't you just know like there had to be moments where like they're in the midst of the battle and they're winning and the, the scripture makes it clear this, this clearly was something that was happening back and forth where it said when Moses' arms were up, they were victorious. When they were down, they weren't. It gives the imagery like this was happening back and forth. I mean, if I'm Joshua, I know every now and I'm looking up the hill like, dude, come on, really? <laughs> like, get your hands up, bro. <laughs> like, I'm swinging the sword out here. Come on. But how often do we neglect let me say this again because I'm tripping over my words. How often do we forget and neglect in prayer our sisters and brothers and what they're walking through? Man, that we would remember we are in a fight. Like just because I'm in a good season, am I going to forget and ignore those I love that are nearby that are struggling? Man, we've got, to, we've got to bear each other up. We've got to lift each other's arms. God's calling us into this battle together. This, there was no lone wolf soldier out here. This wasn't a Jason Bourne situation, like out there kicking butt and taking names. Like, like there's a group of people fighting together and experiencing the up and down of the battle. And there's people whose job was to, to be supporting and believing in prayer. And man, you have to know it was felt when that was lagging. And so let's bear each other up. Let's lift each other's arms and, and let's hang in there. I mean, you've been looking at this a lot from Moses' perspective, but like a lot of us are Joshua in these situations. And our battles can just, it can feel so arbitrary at times. Like, God, what's the deal? Where are you? Where are my friends? Where's my own strength? Like, and what's the mix? Like, what's the right mix of like the part I have to play? Yeah. And God, you showing up and doing your part and working a miracle. And why is it, why is it taking so long? And why do I feel alone right now? And there's a mystery to this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Like, I don't want to just walk through this story and act like it's an equation that we can pop up on the board and just go, if A, B, and C happens, then it's going to equal X and victory. It's messy. It's hard. We're holding on and trusting that God's going to show up and do what he said. They fought all day. They took ground. They lost ground. Ultimately, they were victorious. But in the moment, they felt the weight of what was happening. They felt the tension and the struggle. Why does God do this? Why, why does this depend on somebody holding up their arms? Why does it depend on him sitting on a stone and somebody else holding up his arms? Why is God making Joshua fight at all if he's going to win the victory? Why didn't just some angels show up and do it? Like, what, like what's going on? I believe that at least a little bit that there's some answers for us in, in 1 John chapter 5. You know, John, the one, the one Jesus loved, the disciple who knew how well-loved he was, talks about this idea of God's love, our participation, and the victory that we have in him. And I'd encourage you to read through all of 1 John. It's great. But let's look at chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Look at the connections he makes here. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. He loves us. He's inviting us to participate. But look at this. His commandments are not burdensome. You can do it. You can hold your arms up. And he's going to send you some friends to help hold your arms up. You can do it. For everyone who has been born of God does what? Overcomes, Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Without fail, over and over and over again in the scripture, you will see the connection of the grace of God and our faith and trust in him. There's a direct link. God's grace is there and available to see us through hard seasons and to work in victory. And he's calling us to participate by faith. And the beauty is we just bring the little bit we got. It's all right. It's enough. He even says he gives us the gift of faith. So even when we're trying to muster it, God, help. Give me faith I don't feel like I have right now. And he does. But he involves us in the process. God loves us. He invites us to participate. Victory is sure. Victory is sure. Guys, that is, that is so key for us to understand as believers. There is something special and unique about Jesus Christ. There's a lot that's special and unique about Jesus Christ. But there's something special and unique about our faith in particular. I have a God who's already done something miraculous on my behalf. He's defeated the enemy and he's won a victory. And I have a God who promises eternal life. See, I can face the scariest of things. I can face the certainty of death. And I don't have to pretend it's not real. And I also don't have to live in hopeless resignation about it. I know that it is a transition into the eternal life that Jesus Christ offers me. And so I can be assured of victory. I can know that it's coming. 
I can believe and trust and hope and fight for it right here, right now in this present world. But I can rest assured that he's got it. That's the power of God's love and his grace in my life. So they fight. They hang in there. They hold up arms. They face down the enemy. And Joshua overwhelms, overwhelms the enemy. And they win. They're victorious. The story doesn't stop there. We're going to look at two verses in closing. The first one we're going to look at is verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Now you and I are sitting here with today's knowledge of who Joshua is, right? Joshua is the successor to Moses. He's one of the 12 spies and he's one of the only two that goes in and says, we can do it. And because of that, him and Caleb get to go into the promised land when nobody else did. And then he leads them in battle and victory. And we know all of that. But can I just tell you something? This story is the first time in the scripture that Joshua shows up on the scene. First time. Moses goes, hey, kid, you. You're going to lead these guys in a fight. And God takes note. God knows who Joshua is. And he knows the battles that he has yet to face. And when this battle is won, he says, especially to Moses, recite this in Joshua's ears. I want Joshua to see and understand and remember this victory and to know that there are more battles to come. But just as I was victorious with him in this moment, he's going to be victorious again in these others. He's, he's preparing Joshua for what is ahead. I love that personal touch that the Lord gives. And what's cool about Joshua, so he wins this victory, right? And he hears this encouragement from Moses. Remember this victory. And so what do we see Joshua doing? Do we see him out training with the, the warriors and sharpening his sword and preparing for victories that are ahead? Is that what we see over the next 10, 12 chapters? No. But yes. You know the next two times Joshua shows up in the story? He's with Moses going up on the mountaintop to see God and receive direction in the law. Then a short while later, we see him on a regular basis hanging out in the tent of meeting where God's presence dwelt with Moses and without him. The scripture actually says he would stay after Moses was done. Joshua learned how to fight. And it wasn't ultimately with this. He took in everything that happened that day. And he remembered in the midst of his own participation that it was God that had won the victory. And so what did Joshua cultivate? A relationship with God. Himself, personally. He began to know and recognize God's voice in his life. He easily could have just been like, man, we, we got that. We did that. I mean, sure, maybe you were doing something up there on the hill, but like, I'm the one that overwhelmed Amalek. The scripture says that. Joshua overwhelmed him. It was me and my sword and us guys. But no, he didn't take credit for himself and he didn't trust in his own strength. He grew in his strength and in his knowledge and in his relationship 
with his God. And he developed that along the way. He heard God's invitation and he fostered that. He fostered that. And so he did win victory after victory after victory. One final verse. And honestly, if you've heard nothing else, man, I hope you hear the last couple minutes here. Exodus chapter 17, verse 15. And Moses built an altar or a memorial and called the name of it, The Lord is My Banner. Now, if you're, if you're like me, if any of you are like me, um, anybody kind of grow up in one of those churches that was pretty charismatic? One of the things I remember growing up in a church like that is we knew all these Old Testament names for God. And we, I think we even had like flags or something. I mean, I'm going 80s. I'm going back to the 80s with you guys for a minute, okay? So I'll take you back. If you're looking at me like totally confused, it's all right. But if you go back, there are all these names of God where you, you would take, and this was from Scripture, but they would take like the Old Testament name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, and then connect it with an attribute of God. So you'd know like Jehovah Rapha. Anybody remember that one? Healer. Healer. I knew somebody would know that. All right. So, so this right here, the Lord is my banner, is Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi. God is my banner. Now that word Nisi, it shows up several different times in the Old Testament. And the picture, the concept... Banner kind of captures it, but it's like it's a standard. It's a sign. It's really like a flag, like a flag you'd stick in the ground and say, we're claiming this land. We're taking this territory and it's flying under that banner, that flag. That's the picture. Now, I want to give you the, the flavor of this. I'm not going to explain all of these um, except for the last one, but I just wanted you to get a flavor of this because this word banner is used to describe what God does for us and on our behalf throughout the Old Testament. So in Psalm 60, verses 4 and 5, the whole, the whole psalm is David talking about God fighting on our behalf. But in Psalm 60, verses 4 and 5, David writes and he says, You have set up a banner, same word, for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow. So sometimes the banner that the Lord gives us is just a place of refuge. We're in the fight and it's tough and I'm just coming to him for help and security. It's a place of refuge. Then there's that little word Selah. That word is an invitation to stop and pause and consider what was just said. There is a banner that God holds up for us that we can run to when we are desperate and in need of help and protection, when the fight is the worst, when the, the bow and arrows are coming. And then he unpacks it a little bit more. That your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. Isaiah 11.10. This is a prophetic part of Isaiah speaking of Jesus. He's referred to here as the root of Jesse. And in Isaiah 11.10 it says, In that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal, same word, banner, standard, signal, for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So not only is his banner a place of refuge when we're under attack, it's a place of rest. See, the beauty in Jesus is that we can rest in the victory that he is winning for us. Yes, there's faith. Yes, there's participation. But I can rest in the knowledge that my Savior is fighting for me. And so we can run and rest. And then finally, this is an interesting one, in Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9. 
God's, God's people had kind of sinned and they were experiencing some, some judgment for that. And so these snakes had come in and were biting them and they were getting ill. And God said, listen, even though there's some judgment, I'm going to heal them from this. And so here's what I want you to do. Numbers 21 verses 8 and 9. And the Lord said to Noah, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. Same word, banner, signal, flag. Set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, that's an interesting story, kind of strange. It's significant because it's in God's word. But it's especially significant because Jesus talked about it. Everybody know the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the middle of the night? Jesus tells him, you must be born again. After Jesus tells him he must be born again, he says these words. John 3, 14 through 16. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's the ultimate banner, standard, flagpole. He's the ultimate source that is our anchor that we run to in the fight. He has been victorious by being sweetly broken. We can come in our brokenness and in our battle to him who was broken on our behalf. And he points to that. And then he says, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Then we get John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is the ultimate banner. And his banner over us is what? Love. Love. Song of Solomon 2.4. His banner over me is love. See, I don't have to operate outside of or set to the side God's love and just try to toughen up and fight the fight. God loves us immensely. And he wants us to, to walk in victory. He wants us to see the enemy overcome and defeated. And he invites us to have some faith and have some trust. But what he's asking us to trust in is that he loves us and that he's with us. And that it is our Jesus who wins the victory on our behalf. And that we can run to his standard and his banner in our time of need and watch him be victorious in our lives. I can believe for that here on this side of heaven. I know it's tough. I know we get weary. I know it gets difficult. But I also believe that God brings victories in this life. Will I run to him and let my life be marked by his banner of love? That's the faith that we have today. Trusting and believing in our victorious Savior who loves us. Let's pray. God, we, we stand in awe of your grace that wins victories Jesus, we thank you for the ultimate victory that you have won on our behalf. And God, that you are returning one day in victory. We can't wait. God, in the meantime, as we're in the valley, in the desert, God, as we go through those seasons where we're tired and weary, and it's right then that the enemy nips at our heels and tries to pick us off in our weakness, 
God, that in our weakness, you're strong. God, that you raise up a standard against the enemy. God, that you teach us how to fight, how to lean in. God, you teach us how to link arms and trust one another and and pray together, bear each other up. But God, ultimately, you're inviting us to trust not in our strength, but in yours. And God, you're teaching us that you are the victor and that we can experience victory in this life. God, I pray for any current battles that are happening, that are represented in in this room. God, if if we're Joshua in the story this morning, if we're Moses, if we're Aaron and her, God, whoever we are in this story, God, I pray that we would lean in, that we would have faith for the fight and that we would watch you be victorious. And God, if we're, we're in a season right now of rest and life is good, God, teach us to be like Joshua that we would hear your invitation to come spend time with you, to meet you in the tent. God, that our relationship with you would be strengthened. God, so when the battle comes, we know where our banner lies and we know who to run to. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.